0: and open up to Luke chapter 2, the very same scripture we heard read during the lighting of our Advent wreath by the Rayburger family. And if you're using a phone or a tablet, you've got the YouVersion Bible app. It'll take you right to it. And as you're finding Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, I want to share with you something that I, I read uh, actually a while back, but I, I bookmarked it to, for a time such as this. A few years ago, Time magazine conducted an exhaustive survey of US copyright registrations for Christmas songs. And what time surprisingly discovered, in terms of ranking the most recorded Christmas tunes, the heavily religious songs about the birth of Christ outnumbered the highly commercial ones about Santa and snow. Yeah. 12 of the 18 most recorded Christmas songs in America, eight of the top 10, and all of the top six fell more on the Jesus side of time's ledger. So, despite all the continuing humbug about the ongoing war on Christmas, the name and truth about Jesus continues to be weaved into the coming and goings of visitors to shopping centers, big retailers and restaurants during this most wonderful time of the year. So, if you're someone who's concerned about the war on Christmas, get a hold of yourself, okay? (laughs) Now... Our approach over these last few weeks has been less subtle than this survey. We have been intentionally looking at beloved carols centered on the birth of Jesus all throughout this Advent season. And today, we're going to meditate on a famous holiday song that is particularly focused on this part of the Christmas story from Luke's Gospel. and I know we read, heard it read aloud, but absorb it once again, because this is, again, what gathers us to get together this time of year, and especially tomorrow, tomorrow night. We're in Luke chapter 2, and we're starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed by what the shepherds said to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are a couple of songs that are rooted in this particular passage, but today we're focused on this carol, Angels We Have Heard on High. Now, interesting, the original author of this song is unknown. It's believed, Angels We Have Heard on High, it's believed to have begun as a traditional French carol originating from Languedoc, France. The refrain, in fact, of angels we have heard on high is taken directly from Luke, as you heard, from chapter 2, verse 14, and it records the words of the angel's declaration, Gloria in excelsis Deo, which is Latin for glory to God in the highest. Reports say that in 129 AD, Pope Telephorus decreed that the Gloria be sung during Christmas Eve Midnight Mass. This phrase Gloria in excelsis Deo became known as the Angel's Hymn and it's believed to have been to what to be what inspired the chorus of angels we have heard on high. Now for our purposes the words of this carol were translated into English in 1862 by a Roman Catholic bishop in Northeast England named James Chadwick and the tune for angels we have heard on high, is believed to have been inspired by an unknown tune at the time that was arranged by Edward Shipman Barnes in the early 1800s as well. And even though this, the verses of this song have been translated into many other languages besides French, today, still, this tune is sung just the same way it was 150 years ago. And if you're not, if you've, hopefully in talking just briefly about it, it's called that, that, that carol to mind. Angels we have heard on high is this rousing song of invitation, a cosmic chorus, you'll remember, that begins in heaven with the angels, and then, as the song tells us, the mountains in reply echo back in response, symbolizing the, symbolizing the participation of the earth. And in the midst of this description, we are invited to sing, and as we sing, we join all their voices. And what I want to do today is I want to focus specifically on the declaration made by the angels on that silent and holy night so long ago, the one, again, that's expressed in the chorus to this carol, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Because you see, in this announcement of the angels, this single sentence is the explanation of the significance of Christmas, of what the birth of Jesus means for all humankind. And if you were paying attention, it fundamentally comes down to two things, glory and peace. Glory to God in the highest. I have a question for us this morning. What is glory? What is glory? Glory is a hard word to define, Biblically, the Old Testament Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod. Can you say kavod? Kavod. And kavod literally means heavy in the sense of having weight or largeness. Like when we say, man, that's heavy. Yeah, that's heavy. <laughs> Meaning it's got some substance, some weight, some impact to it. Glory is about weight, significance, impact, and you know, I don't think we do justice to the picture of glory on that first Christmas. I don't think we do justice to the picture of glory on that first Christmas. I mean, the image presented on the cards we send to each other, the bird's eye view offered to our various nativities and crutches tend to be that, right, of a fairly quiet, serene, sweet, and otherwise unassuming silent night. You know, baby Jesus nestled in the manger, Mary and Joseph gathered around him, shepherds nearby, cattle and other animals lowing, a star high above their heads, three wise men following yonder star, bearing gifts on their way to pay their respects, and a winged angel, sometimes two or three, floating above in the sky. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture, one that's etched, again, into our traditional observance of Christmas, but it lacks a certain oomph. It fails to reflect the full weight, magnitude, the glory of that actual moment. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean, but I want to give a little spoiler alert, a little caution. I'm going to transform your particular image of that night The one that most of us have in your minds. And if you want to hold on to that picture, then put your fingers in your ears and don't say it out loud. Just la, 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 la. Because here it is. When you picture that scene, first of all, no angel in scripture is described as having wings. No angel in scripture is described as having wings. Not here in Luke's gospel account. Not in the book of Revelation, where angels are pictured as arrayed in white, but there is no mention of wings. Wings were the invention of Renaissance painters who were trying to visualize how an angel could just appear before someone. After the Renaissance period, there's then this gradual evolution of the picture of angels into fluffy, almost translucent entities skipping from cloud to cloud, born upon gossamer wings. None of that, however, is biblical. So, the angel that the shepherds first encountered on that Christmas night wasn't warm, wasn't fuzzy, and wasn't inviting. There's a reason, we kind of gloss over it, we're told the shepherds were terrified. Because this angel was heavy, man, like mind-blowing, These shepherds had to be encouraged not to fear because things were just getting started that night. The magnitude of the situation quickly became apparent to them as these shepherds were told looked up and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Suddenly, one angel is replaced by the heavenly host. And now the heavenly host is not a larger group of fluffy angels flying around on their angel wings, playing harps in the nighttime sky over Bethlehem. No, heavenly host is a very particular term describing a military unit. Appearing before these shepherds are not God's supermodels, but the Lord's soldiers. Added to this, the word translated here as multitude into English, is intended to convey that the angels present themselves, that present themselves before the shepherds are so vast, they cannot possibly be numbered. They are beyond counting. The point, my brothers and sisters, is the fear-inspiring, innumerably arraigned angel army armed to the teeth and filling the silent, holy night sky of the little town of Bethlehem reveals the greater significance of this event. The kavod, the glory of God is on display, both in the one born this day to Mary and Joseph, our promised Messiah, as well as the presence of these celestial soldiers standing at the ready, standing guard over divinity, The word made flesh. You know, very often we, and it's easy to do, we make the mistake of thinking Christmas is all about us. Yet the angels declare glory to God in the highest. Christmas exists. Christ came for us. Yes, indeed. But first and foremost, we must recognize Christmas, like everything else, exists for God's glory to reflect the largeness, the magnificence of our creator. Beloved, without God, nothing exists. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But because God comes to us in Christ, anything is possible. Because God is with us in Christ, we can do all things. Everything for which we were meant to experience and accomplish in Christ. First question I have to ask you this morning on this day before Christmas Eve, all this time we've had to prepare, are we, as these angels direct us, giving the glory to God? Are we giving the glory to God? And you might say, well, how do we give God glory? When something is glorious, when it's Bearing or full of glory. It's overwhelming as I've described. It captures our attention. It captures our imagination. It is captivating. To glory in something then. Is to magnify it. So that it is big. In your heart and in your mind. Big. One of the things. I've continually prayed. And still do for my children. Is Jesus would be big in their life, not peripheral, not just part of their lives, but that their lives would revolve around the weight, the significance, the largeness of who Jesus is and his specific call upon their path. My friends, is God, is Jesus big in your life? We glorify lots of things. We glorify, we make room, a lot of room in our lives for the things and the people we perceive as looming large. If we're a true fan of a team or an artist, we make time for their influence upon us. We pay attention to what they produce, right? They weigh heavily upon our mind and our heart. We jump up and down and we cheer for them. We sing and raise our arms for them. We'll dance in their presence. We will encourage others to listen and follow them. Man, they're great. Oh my gosh, you've got to hear this. You've got to see this. This is the best. This is giving them that team or that particular artist glory. Glory. The question is, is in this season of all seasons, does our life say that it's all about God's glory? Does our life say that it's all about God's glory? Is God's presence, are God's purposes what inform how we think, how we feel, how we move, how we act? Because both in this beloved carol and in the scripture that inspired it, the angels call us to give the glory to God, to magnify the influence and weight Jesus has in our lives. Because this is the first half of what Christmas is all about. Glory. The second half of what the angels sing about is peace on earth. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Now, peace is a word we've talked about before. And peace, as we might remember, when invoked in the Bible, is about a lot more than the absence of conflict. The Hebrew word for peace, do you remember it, is shalom. And biblically, shalom is about wholeness, wellness in mind, body, and spirit. Shalom is rightness, harmony in relationships. In other words, peace is not simply I'm not mad at him or her. Peace is he and I, she and I are right with one another. We are reconciled. We are together. Peace is not just I'm okay and you're okay. Peace is both of us individually and together flourishing. Peace then, shalom, is about life and the world being and becoming all that it should be, all that it was created by God to be. And Jesus comes, God comes to us in Christ to bring that kind of peace. Jesus is born to make shalom possible for us. And this shalom, this peace birthed with Christ has three layers to it, three. First and foremost, it is peace, reconciliation and restoration of our relationship with God. God. First and foremost, it's restoration and reconciliation of our relationship with God. Because you see, there is no lasting peace in this world. There is no lasting peace in our relationships. There is no lasting peace within ourselves because we live unconsciously and consciously in rebellion and rejection of our creator. We make our own rules, right? We do what we want to do. We live for ourselves. It's all about us. Nobody can tell me what to do, how to live, or who to be. These are the slogans by which we live, by which we buy, by which we consume, by which we breed. Any acknowledgement or consideration of God's plans and purposes for us is at best an afterthought. It's a sporadic, sort of a Christmas and Easter thing accommodation that we make to God that inevitably ends up making whatever the Lord might will or ask of us not surprisingly look exactly like what we already intended and planned to do. Go figure. My friends, sometimes we get the picture of the angels wrong. Sometimes we get the true picture of that scene in Bethlehem wrong as well. Sometimes we fail to see to recognize how this picture could have been different. What I mean is, if you're now picturing the scene the way that I've unpacked it for you, God could have unleashed judgment on this world. The Lord could have sent this marauding heavenly army to fix his creation Think about it. Myriads upon myriads of angels, avenging angels armed to the teeth to account for our laying waste to his creation, our killing of the prophets he sent to us, our continual mocking and ignoring of his law. God could have sent his sword to condemn us, but God chose to come down himself to save us. God could have revealed the power of his judgment But God chose to reveal the strength of his unconditional and unconquerable love by birthing it through a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. That is the glorious picture of Bethlehem painted on that starry night. A declaration not of war, but a divine offering of peace. But take care. Take care, listen carefully, for this is not some generic announcement. The announcement of the angels is for people who believe their message. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. This is not a statement of favoritism as if God only brings peace to some. No, Jesus brings peace to all humanity, but only those who embrace this peace who rest and abide in this shalom will experience it. Those who are indifferent to this announcement, who deny Christ and reject what he offers, for them there is no peace. Not because Christ does not offer it, but because they say no thank you. If we choose not to rest or abide in the peace of Christ, we are restless. We are at war with God whoa 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 now hold on a minute we might say I don't feel hate towards God I'm not opposed to God I haven't declared war on God here's the thing if you're someone who's just accommodated God's presence in your life you know just kind of made room for the Lord if you're a person who believes in Jesus but doesn't actually follow him, if you claim the benefits of knowing Christ but ignore the call of letting Christ transform how you think, how you feel, how you speak, how you act, then you are not resting and abiding, relying upon the peace of Jesus. And that makes you in opposition to God. You are at war with God. You are restless. You know it. You feel it. You deny it. You ignore it. But there's moments you feel it. You're restless. You can't be at peace because you have not embraced. You will not rest in the peace that is ours in Christ. And beloved, whenever we are at war with God, we are going to lose every time. But we don't have to lose. You don't have to lose. God comes to us in Christ so we can win. Jesus comes to win us back, to bring us peace. And you want to embrace that peace. You want to let it rest upon you. Because Christ comes to bring us peace with God that leads to peace within ourselves. This is the second layer of shalom, what some call inner peace. Inner peace is basically the absence of fear. And let's be clear, not all fear is bad. Some fears are good because they keep us safe. They are a God-given survival mechanism designed to protect us from danger, like fear of a rattlesnake when we're tempted to get too close. There are moments when our fear is totally rational and warranted. But there are other fears that are not good. They are irrational. Some fears do not protect us. They debilitate us. Such fears do not enhance our lives. They take away from the life we were meant to live. And these kind of fears in all their various forms tend to be about the same things. These fears in all their various forms tend to be about our value our worth, our significance, our well-being, our confidence. They all derive, right, these fears, they derive from guilt and shame we are carrying, or they derive from wrongs or abuse we have suffered. And such is the power in these fears that rather than face them, we rationalize them. We rationalize them. We start to believe, this is crazy, but we start to believe, we start to convince ourselves that these fears that cripple us are actually good for us. And just like that, these fears become our identity. These fears define who we are. Why? Because underneath such fears, all of them is the ultimate fear. The fear of being abandoned or alone. All enduring and destructive fear comes from being emotionally disconnected from loving relationship. Rather than be alone, we choose to live in fear. Beloved, if you're relating even in the slightest to what I'm talking about this morning, Jesus comes to set us free from that kind of life. God comes in Christ to make peace with us so that we can be at peace with ourselves. If we are right with God, if we are reconciled through Christ, we have no reason to fear. For in Jesus, we discover our identity is based on who God declares us to be. His beloved children. Our identity is not based on what we do or don't do. Our value and our worth are defined in Christ not by our fleeting accomplishments, the shifting foundations of others' opinions, or our fluctuating circumstances. No, our esteem and confidence are defined by the Lord's love for us in creating us, in redeeming us, and sustaining us beyond death into eternity. Our significance derives not from having to justify our existence. Our significance derives instead from discovering and enjoying the gifts we have been given and the destiny that the Lord has set before us. Christmas declares we never need fear being abandoned or alone because if God has come this far from heaven to earth to be with us and if God in Christ will go so far all the way to the cross and beyond the grave to be for us, God will never leave or forsake us. Beloved, what are we afraid of? What are you afraid of today? I ask you, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is our very present help in time of trouble, what can anyone else do to us that will last, that God cannot work through? If God is at peace with us, what is worth worrying about? Let us cast our fears upon the one whom the angels have declared have come for us. Let us rest in his peace. Because in so doing, we will unravel the third layer of this peace that Christ brings, peace with God that leads to peace with ourselves, that leads to peace with others. This world is full of conflict. Boy, that's an understatement. I don't need to tell you that. This world is full of conflict. But we are gathered here, and many will gather tomorrow, some who never step inside a church except for this one time of the year, because they will hear that in this world of conflict, Jesus comes to bring us peace. They will hear that Jesus' birth brings powerful resources into this world to bring peace between us as human beings. Powerful resources. The first is, this first resource that we are given is Jesus gives us unconditional love. And this kind of love, unconditional love, is not just ours to receive, but also to share. We share this kind of love. We find wholeness and peace in our relationship with others as we begin to change and see people through God's eyes. God's eyes. As we remember God's gracious love toward us, despite our flaws, even with our outright bad attitudes and behavior, we cannot help but be compelled to extend that kind of love to others, focusing not on whether they deserve it, but becoming profoundly aware of how much they need this kind of love. Who needs that kind of love in your life this Christmas? Who needs unconditional love in your life this Christmas? Jesus gives us a powerful, powerful resource. He gives us unconditional love, but Jesus also gives us forgiveness. God in Christ forgives us before we even say we're sorry. God in Christ gives us forgiveness before we even say we're sorry. And again, the gift of forgiveness is not just ours to receive. It's given to us to share. And forgiveness, forgiveness when it is actually and fully received, I mean, when you actually receive The forgiveness that is ours in Christ, it unleashes, doesn't it? An amazing desire and an even greater power within us to forgive others. When we've been truly set free, released from our guilt and shame, we want others to experience that same release because freedom is contagious my brothers and sisters, are you living at peace with others this Christmas? And if you're on the fence, if it's starting to get a little warm in here, if you're not eager to forgive others, then maybe you haven't actually received the forgiveness that is yours in Christ. Hear that. If you are not eager, willing to forgive others, then maybe, despite what you think, you have not fully received the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. For any number of reasons, pride. I'm always the one that goes to them. It's not my fault, it's their fault. Denial. (laughs) I didn't do anything. I am completely innocent here. Self-pity. And no one ever apologizes to me. No one ever tries to make peace with me. I'm the one that people always walk on. I'm always the one. For any number of reasons, pride, denial, or self-pity, we don't forgive. But if those reasons and countless others, pride, denial, or self-pity, keep us from forgiving, then the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, beloved, hear this, remains an unwrapped Christmas gift for us still sitting under the tree. It's a gift you have, but it's a gift you haven't unwrapped. It's a gift you've been given, but it's a gift that you're saying, yeah, that's cool, but you know what? I'm going to put it here. Because if you unwrap the gift of God's forgiveness, that God has set you free, it changes you. It transforms you. You can't help but want for others to be free. Again, not because they deserve it, Not because they've even asked for it, but because you know, you've experienced how desperately they need it. Is there someone you're in conflict with this Christmas? Or someone vice versa who's in conflict with you? You know, it's that wonderful time of year when we get together with all our family and friends. You know, and because, you know, courtesy demands, unless something really, really bad has happened, we invite all our family together. And that's why some of us have to put on that smile. It's that one time a year we had to see that person. Right? Is there someone you are in conflict with this Christmas or vice versa is in conflict with you? Hear the angels. Make it right with them. Make it right with them. Make the first move, just like Jesus. Make the first move, just like Jesus, as much as it depends on you. And again, you can't control what the other person will do. But as much as it depends upon you, like Jesus, extend the peace, the forgiveness of Christ to them. Because here it is, when we bring these two declarations together, the two things that the angel said together, it's like this. When we live at peace, when we live in peace, we glorify God. When we live at peace, when we live in peace, we glorify God. God in Christ has revealed his glory, his unconditional love, and boundless forgiveness to us through Jesus. So we need now, by faith, by the grace of God, to make that gift actual, to give the glory to God. Christmas is almost here. It's not too late for us to join the company of angels in their heavenly song. To glorify God in reflecting the weight, the largeness, the substance of who God is to others. As those created in the Lord's image, glorifying God is our shared calling. We all come from different places and different stories, but our shared calling is we were created to glorify God. In all our work and play, we are to bear Christ to others, to mirror and mimic what Jesus is like to the world. And we do that. We glorify God when we make the peace of God and all the ingredients of the Lord's peace, grace, faith, hope, love, tangible and real to those and for those around us. This is our daily act of worship. And this is how we truly celebrate Christmas. Amen.